stand here tonight wanting to, uh, to thank you. Because a little over 10 years ago, um, I was taken upstairs and inside one of those back rooms, the missions team was gathered for one purpose, to see if I was going to be the next church planning intern at Longview Point Baptist Church. And um, we had already spent, Paige and I had spent some weeks with a group of people who would become Riverbend Church, or first, the church at Riverbend, although the landing of Riverbend never happened, but that's another story. And uh, we had already been praying, and it came the middle of December, and it was time to figure out if this church was going to vote for us to be church planning intern. And uh, so we went up in that room, and I shared my testimony. I shared with the ministry team, the the missions team, um, what I believe God had called us to, and all I remember is one question. One question that was asked the whole time, hour plus, in that room. And just to be honest with you, before before I tell you the question, I failed. I failed. You ready for the question? Here's the question. Um, Brian, are are you uh, Mi Pueblo or Guadalajara? (laughs) Now, that may not mean very much 10 years later. There's some diversity amongst you. I, I truly believe that. But 10 years ago, if you were here 10 years ago, you, know, you were a staunch one-way church. And I said, okay, I'll be honest. And maybe that's what allowed me to be here this evening, me being honest. But I said, um, I got to tell you, I'm a thin-chip guy, Guadalajara all the way. And there was a couple of gas. But I remember that. And then... I came and I preached, and you called me to be a church planner. Um, this morning, I stood in front of River Bend, and we celebrated 10 years, 10 years of being a church, 10 years of our journey. And I told them, I said, uh, to be honest with you, 10 years ago, I didn't have a clue what it meant to plant a church. didn't have a clue. Watched a couple of videos, talked to a couple of people, and they said, all right, here we go, let's do this. And that was it. That was the training. And I'm grateful that that's not the case today. Some 10 years later, we are here, still thankful, and this evening it is my honor and my privilege to open God's word with you and to talk to you. I know that I am preaching to the choir, but to talk to you about what it means to be a church and the importance of church planning, what it means to be a church. And I want to give you an example this evening out of God's word. If you have a copy of God's word, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
And I'm going to share with you from Paul's letter to those at Thessalonica what it means to be a church and the importance for us, for you, for me, for these churches to be churches that plant churches. So this evening, the uh, three points are these. As we walk through God's Word, I want us to see a challenge, a challenge for us, a challenge for us as believers in 2017, a challenge for us who are a part of a church, of what it means to be a church. I want to share some thanks, give some thanks to you, share some thanks with you. And then I want to close our time this evening with a caution for every single one of us, kind of along the lines of what Richard and Amber just stated just a moment ago. Before I do, I was searching on the web for some statements about what it is to be a church. And so I'm going to read some statements, and I, I want you to not critique these statements, but I want you to think about what these churches said about what it means to be a church. I found on a website that uh, a certain church, their mission statement, their vision statement was this, to love God, to love people, to share the love of God in our hometown here and abroad. Connection Church. To share the gospel of Jesus with our neighbors, networks, nation, and all over the world. Redemption Hill. To love Jesus and live sent. East Point. One church, multiple locations, gathering people so they may know Christ, go with Christ, and grow in Christ. The Church of the Rockies. To follow Jesus and make disciples. Mercy heal. We exist to see people fall in love with Jesus and to live sent daily. River Bend. Expanding His kingdom across the street and around the world. Your church. All of those grab a hold of taking the great news of the gospel to those who need it, seeing growth spiritually, and that is exactly what Paul charges, challenges those at Thessalonica with. Read with me, I will read it out loud, you follow along, read with me as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'm going to read the first Six verses, and I want us to see this word of challenge to believers about the task at hand. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 states this, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God. We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel 
The gospel of God in the midst of much conflict, verse 3 states, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God. To please God who tests our hearts. Verse 5, for we never came with words. Never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with pretexts for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you, from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage, as we walk through the second chapter here in 1 Thessalonians, Lord, would you challenge us? Father, challenge me of what it means to to lead a church, what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, your church. Father, may we be thankful this evening. May we be thankful for those that have gone before us some 2,000 years, halfway around the world at a town, in a town called Thessalonica. May we be thankful for all those who have gone before us. Father, thank you for this church this evening. Father, would we hear the caution that Paul gave to the people at Thessalonica, and hear the caution that is for us as well. God, we love you and we thank you for your son. We ask it in his name. Amen. In this letter, Paul writes to those new believers in Christ at this church that he spent some three weeks with, sharing the gospel with them, walking the streets of Thessalonica, making tents, making a living so that he would not be a burden on them. He states that to them in this passage. And he says, here's the challenge. Here we see see Paul state to the Thessalonians. He's encouraging and challenging them about this gospel. And he's doing it in such a way that they are not to be deceived. He's not doing it out of deceit, nor is there any impurity there's no error, no flattery, no pretext, no, no greed. No, he is doing it for one reason, and it is the gospel. The importance of the action that Jesus, the Son of the living God, left the throne of heaven, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless, spotless life for one purpose, to go to a cross and be nailed to and die for you and die for those at Thessalonica and die for me and die for all of those in between and Paul wanted to remind these new believers and I want to remind this believer and you believers of I was watching the slides. Some new believers, young, waiting for baptism. Some other believers that have joined the body here. But I want to remind us that the gospel is not just for lost people. 
The gospel's for saints as well as sinners. The gospel's for you. No matter if you're like me and bowed the knee the first time as a nine-year-old or as a 90-year-old. Or you find yourself like me in your mid-40s and you bow the knee today, this week, last week. You and I need the gospel. We need to be reminded of this gospel. It is often that you and I should be reminded of the great news of Jesus Christ. And Paul reminds those here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Read it with me again. It states this, For our appeal, our appeal, let me go back to, to verse 2. It states, But though we have already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel, the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal, it does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with this gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. It's often that you and I should be reminded of this gospel. It's often early on in our walk, all the way through our teenage years spiritually, and even though through, even through our graying and our balding spiritual years, you and I need to be reminded of the gospel. It's good for you. It's good for us to be here and to be talking about the gospel. In his book entitled Gospel, D.A. Horton states this, that our hearts will be more prone to share the gospel with saints and sinners when we do three things. One, when we get engaged with our context. When we know our community, when we know those that we live around, when we know our oikos, when we know our neighbors, when we know our co-workers, where they are with God, when we know those who are on our son and daughter's baseball teams, when we know our community, our context, we're more prone to share the gospel with saints and sinners. When we give eternal contributions of ourselves and our Savior, we are more prone to share the gospel. And this last one gets me every time I read it. You and I are more prone to share the gospel when we grieve every day. When we grieve every day over the spiritual condition of others. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to be embarrassed, nor do I want you to be embarrassed. Did you grieve over the condition, spiritual condition of somebody else other than you today? Did you grieve over the spiritual condition of somebody else this past week? It's the last day of April. Did you grieve over the spiritual condition of somebody else in the previous 30 days. 
Yet it is the only answer to those who are not saved, to those who are perishing, the gospel. That's the challenge that Paul sets forth in these verses to those at Thessalonica, and that's the challenge that he sets forth for you and for me. As a church, what are we to be about? It is that we are to be about sharing the gospel to saints like tonight and sinners. How did Paul describe himself when he said, hey, we shared the gospel with you? If you look there in verse number two, he said, we did it with with fear and timidity. We did it, we, we really did not want to do it at all. But we had to. No. He said, when we were at Philippi, we got tortured, buddy. I mean, y'all know, y'all know the conflict that was there. Y'all know who was after me. I told you all those stories in the three weeks that I was sitting there making a tent right beside you so that you wouldn't have to pay for anything that I was about or doing. You know the conflict because I shared it with you. You know the conflict because it's happening with you. We'll see it a little later in the chapter. You know the conflict because you are now experiencing some of the same things. But he said, even in the midst of this conflict, I have boldness to share this gospel. I stand and proclaim. It's the 500th year of Martin Luther in October. You're already seeing it. It will be even more. He says, I stand here. I can do no other. I can't back down. Here it is. The gospel. And that's what we as church... That's what the church at Thessalonica, that's what we today are to be about, sharing with boldness. So I have a question, and I have to hurry through my sermon, but here's my question. 2,000 years ago, Paul writes to a city called Thessalonica. Same God on the throne then as today? Same God, right? Same God on the throne that defeated all the the ites in the Old Testament when his children were going into the land of Canaan. Same God on the throne that took down the, the walls of Jericho by just people walking around it and then finally yelling a little bit. It's the same God on the throne who stopped the Red Sea and allowed them to walk on dry ground and then closed the Red Sea at the right time to kill every one of the army in Egypt. It's the same God on the throne today that rolled back the Jordan River and allowed them to walk over on dry land. Brian, that's Old Testament. It's the same God on the throne today that talked through a donkey and talks through a tillman tonight. It's the same God. This is the same God that's on the throne that took 5,000 men sitting on a hillside and all of his disciples complaining, saying, you got to send them away. What do you want? We don't have 200 denarii to feed them something to eat. He said, what do you have? we got five loaves and two fishes. Bring them. 5,000 men plus everybody else that was there fed 12 baskets. Hey, Matthew. Thomas, John, why don't you go pick up a basket? Why is there 12? Well, there's 12 disciples. Get a clue, guys. Same God. 
is on the throne then, is on the throne right now, why don't you and I have boldness to proclaim the gospel? Just to let you know, Longview Point, I'm preaching to myself, not you. The same God on the throne. The challenge is set before us. If He is the same God, then why don't we find ourselves in the marketplace in Hernando? Why don't we find ourselves in the marketplace in Memphis, South Haven, Senatobia, Olive Branch, Walls, sharing with them the good news? And Paul kind of switches gears from a challenge to some gratitude. If you look in verses 6 through 11, I'll read them quickly. He states this Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or others, though we could have. We could have made man's as an apostle, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but also our own selves, our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. You are witnesses, verse 10 says, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children we acted toward you. Paul knew these believers. He had led them to the Lord, most of them. He had spent time with them. Yes, it was three weeks, but he had spent time with them. And then he had moved on. And now he's writing to them because Timothy had come back to him and had shared some great news about them remaining in the faith. And he said, I want to thank you. I've got four minutes. I want to thank you. Longview Point, because of you, because of your giving, because of your work, because of your love and your obedience. Because of your gifts, as Richard stated, because of your DNA, your offerings have given us the opportunity to take the gospel to the Rockies, to a couple of Indian cities, Sioux City and Senatobia. Go look it up, it's an Indian name. To the Delta to central DeSoto County, around the world, now coming to east DeSoto County. Thank you. Thank you. You're an example to me. You're an example to us. As church planners, I pray for you often. 
Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, it seems, I'm in this parking lot picking up a couple of kids that come to school here, and whether I'm coming into this parking lot or going out of this parking lot, whether I'm going north on Mackinville or south on Mackinville, I pray for my friend, your pastor, and I pray for you. Because without you, 10 years ago, it would not have happened that a group of people, now called River Bend, brothers and sisters in Christ of yours. Thank you. We owe you so much. And we all owe Him so much because it's the gospel. Thank you. Let me get to the caution and I close. Verses 12 through 16. Paul gives some caution. He says, we exhort you. We exhorted each one of you. We encouraged and have charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and His own glory. We also thank God constantly for this. Thank Him for what? For how they're walking, yes, but for this. That when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, You accepted it not as word from man, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus, the prophets, And drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, fill up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. Verse 12, God calls the believer to himself in justification. He calls the believer to himself in justification through the proclamation of the gospel. But he also calls a believer to himself through sanctification and a life of holiness. And that is where you and I as believers get our victory. That's where you can have a bold witness. That's, where, that's the reason why you can stand and proclaim this great gospel. Because this sanctification, the Holy Spirit of God being indwelt in you, given to you as a gift, an inheritance of what is to come. Without Him, you can do nothing. Oh, you might catch up with the Smiths, the Browns, the Joneses, and surpass a lot of Tillmans by miles and miles, but you cannot do anything of substance without God ruling and reigning in your life give you a personal story and I'm done. I was on staff at First Baptist Church Durham, North Carolina. I was their interim youth minister for three and a half years. I don't know how you do that, but I did it. And our pastor, Dr. Andy Davis, who is still there today, 
he's an engineer, and uh, he got tired of looking at his walls, and so uh, occasionally, about every other week or so, he would go over to the public library just across the street in downtown Durham, and he would pick up a couple of his engineering periodicals, and he'd sit there and just bask in their glory, and he loved it. And one day, he picked up the periodical, and right beside it, he saw a new magazine, and he was aghast. He he picked it up, and he took it to the counter, and he asked the librarian, he says, why is this in the public library where anybody can check it out? And the librarian said, because of the articles, and it was a Playboy magazine. And so he wrote a letter to the librarian, the head librarian of the city, and he wrote a letter to the mayor, and he wrote an op-ed to the local paper, and the war was on. All because one believer, one believer decided to take a stand for the gospel. And here's the caution that he, that Paul, gives every church planner and every believer in the room this evening. Beware, because when you take a stand, yes, the battle will come, and it'll come against you from the outside, but you need to also understand that it's going to come against you from the inside. And it wasn't long at First Baptist Durham. I can show you some scars. It was not long, First Baptist Durham, that the battle started raging from the inside as hot and heavy as it was from the outside. Go read Nehemiah chapter 4, chapter 5. You see that there is Sanballat and Tobiah, yes, but there's also a ton of Jews who do not like what Nehemiah is doing. So that's the caution. And yes, this present momentary affliction, as Paul would write in a different letter, it pales in comparison, Longview Point, church planners, say it to myself in the mirror, it pales in comparison to the weight of glory that is to come.